guys, welcome to another episode of the Dougal Podcast with myself, Rob Watson. And this is episode 13, and by all accounts this is quite a bit of a landmark moment And when you launch and create a podcast, is supposedly a lot of people, by the time they get to episode 13, can kind of like jack it all in because either the excitement has worn off a little bit, which it certainly has. That's some of my own experience from it as well. You kind of always wanted to be like chasing the new thing that you want to be doing and starting without actually seeing something through. So this is a really good test for me to do that. But so yeah, I'm at episode 13. I'm giving myself a little pat on the back as I say that because I want to keep going with this. I'm really excited about it as well. Um, but yeah, there's definitely, it's definitely ups and downs and I can understand why some people would be like, right, I've had enough because I've had a few moments that myself. Well, anyway, before I get into today's episode, which is titled Everyone's Got a Story to Tell, I'm going to have a bit more background on why I've called it that. I just want to share a few things that are coming up on the podcast in the future and just a few of the exciting people and things that I've got planned to be interviewing. So next weekend, I'm going to be going down to Bristol and I'm going to be speaking with Kleena Jordan, who is the founder of Make Votes Matter. Now, if anyone who's listening to this, I'm pretty sure they'll be aware that the government at the moment is making a right shit show of the whole Brexit negotiations. And it is real, total, you know, they've had, what, almost three years to, to sort something out and it's, like, right down to the wire and they're making an absolute mess of stuff and just everyone's incredibly anxious about it. So I'll be speaking with Kleena and she's got some really great tools and great insight on how we can change the political system now come on that's what we need to do we need to shake things up don't we big time so i'm really excited about that one and also there's a an amazing groceries near us called unicorn which has been going for about 25 years and i'm currently chatting with one of the directors from that i'm going to be speaking to you know it's very much about co-op it's a cooperative it's about people buying local it's they really look after the staff they invest they reinvest in stuff they pay fair wages all these kind of things which i believe is but if we want more businesses to be started and to be thriving, then that seems to be a good, well, a perfect model. So I'm excited about that one. And then also I'll be speaking with a functional medicine doctor in the next month or so, which I'll be having on the podcast. So that's going to be, for me, really interesting because my health and health as a whole is a real strong theme in my life and something that I'm really interested in. I can see a lot of people... I've got a lot of health challenges, so I think having a functional medicine doctor on the show will be really inspiring and um, thought-provoking in many ways, and I know it'll help me. So yeah, they're just some of the people that I've got on and lined up in the next few episodes that I'll be putting out. So on to today's episode. Now, taking a big breath for this one, because this episode is... Obviously, I said it's about number 13 and lucky for some, but it's actually a really significant episode, this for me, because I'm going to be sharing some stuff in here, which I've never really, I've only spoken to about a few people and things that have sort of played a, a significant role in my life. And that's why I've got the title called, you know, everyone's got a story to tell. I did think about another title. This was going back, going back ages ago, which was basically big boys don't cry. Why not? and wanting to delve into that kind of thing because it's very much linked to mental health and you know and we've all got mental health and in this country there's a real taboo around mental health i believe it's breaking down and it really has been over say the last 
decade or so and people are feeling more open and comfortable about talking about their feelings, talking about their anxiety, talking about the depression, talking about events in their life that have affected them. And I'm seeing some great changes and people are really starting to shift in that way. It's still it's still in the early stages really, you know, how many people would openly really want to talk about having suffered from depression or anxiety or seeing therapists or as talking about traumatic events in their lives. And the reason why I want to talk about this today is because I think there's a real need for it about us stepping up and talking and to sharing more about what's gone in our lives. And I want to mainly focus on the males, um, us boys, because there's some real issues if you look into society. Like, for instance, you know, suicide is the most common cause of death for men between 20 and 49 in England and Wales. One person in 15s has actually made a suicide attempt at some point in their life. I, I found that quite mind-blowing, really, when I heard that, that one person in 15. So if you've got a family, we've all got families and quite extended families, the potential that one of them has attempted to commit suicide. Now, that's quite a, a shocking statistic in my mind. And what For me, more so than the thing about, you know, the most common cause of death between men 24 and 49 is suicide. It's actually... So where does this all come from? What's happening in people's lives? And my feelings are, and this is my opinion based on my own experiences and my research and my life and stuff like that. And I believe it stems very much back into growing up in childhood and how that evolves and, and stuff through society and the school system and how that be, you know, and particularly when I'm a boy. So I had that uh, working title a while ago, Big Boys Don't Cry, Why Not? Well, I can guarantee every boy, every guy who's, listen, who's listening to this has most often been told by someone, come on, grow up, big boys don't cry. You know, you need to man up is a bit of a term of it, or you need to be strong. When we look around at kids, you know, look at kids like, you know, two, three, four-year-old kids. Little boys and little girls will cry just as much. But just kind of, if not, sometimes little boys will cry even more. But at some point along the line, I believe boys are discouraged from crying because it's a sign of weakness. Now, if you look at a little boy crying or anyone crying, they have someone that they'll fall over, they'll hurt themselves, or something will get said and they won't get their own way, whatever it is, and then they'll really have a big outpouring of, of tears and be really emotional. But then as soon as they've released that, they're, they're back to being the bubbly self. They're back to like whatever doing running around. The moment we start saying to kids, you need to hold that in, you shouldn't be doing that, you need to bite your bottom lip, what's happening? All that emotion that's wanting to come out is actually getting suppressed and it's getting pushed down. And what sort of damage is that laying for the future generations and what damage is that doing for them as they grow up in their life? And you know, every time they have a feeling, it's like, no, put it down or don't let it out. Imagine the difference we would make if we really encourage kids and, and adults now to own their feelings, to know that it's okay to have a good cry. It's okay to be vulnerable and to share your own, to share things that have gone on in your life. And I think that's a key thing, you know, about us being vulnerable and realizing that it's brave to be vulnerable. It's actually very powerful and it's very empowering to share what's going on in your life and to 
it's very important to own our feelings, own our own journey. And then I think we can break free of this taboo around stuff, you know, around mental health, particularly in this country. Like, look at America. Practically everyone's got a therapist, and it's been like that for decades. And because they really feel much more comfortable talking about the feelings, where over here it's like, no, it's still, you still thought of like as a bit like it's um, there's something wrong with you. You know, the people in the white coats are going to come and get you, which is something that you can often hear. I think people have that fear that, and maybe it goes way back to thinking you hear about stuff that people would have, like lobotomies and all these things and the nuts. And, you know, I think there's a lot of fear around that about people judging you or thinking that that's what's wrong with you. So that's what I'm going to talk about today. And I already have been talking about it now for a little bit about, about emotional health and mental health and I just want to share now my own story. I want to release this. Now, this isn't going to be, this isn't, this isn't easy for me to talk about this and, and to share certain things, but I believe, like I said, there's strength in sharing. There's being brave when you're being vulnerable. And I believe by me sharing the things that have maybe happened to me in my life can potentially help others on their way and maybe realise that we're all going through some stuff and you just you just that's the thing everyone's got stories to tell we just don't know what someone else is going through what's made them feel like that whether something got said to them when they were a short child an event happened to them the more we can give people say the benefit of the doubt then i think it's going to make a big difference so anyway, on to my story. I'm kind of taking a little bit of a sidetrack there because maybe I'm putting off talking about it. But anyway, so something that's really affected me in my life and really had a huge impact um, for me was when I was 15. So when I was 15 and when I was 15 and when I was, we were on a family holiday, I was very fortunate growing up. We would each summer, me uh, my parents and all my cousins and aunties and uncles would go off somewhere on holiday and there's something like you know my, my happiest memories of growing up it was a great time for us to be together we'd go to a different country and we'd uh, play and explore and you know all them things that you you want to do that you have happy memories as a as a kid to go through and I really used to excite and enjoy them all we went on one holiday we went to the Caribbean and um, as I said when I was 15 and we had a great time really a beautiful place and had lots of fun on that trip and all that stuff well anyway I, I can't remember when it was it was part of the, well anyway part of the way through the trip in the shower as you do get in the shower washing yourself and then all of a sudden I get a feel I get a sense that something's wrong with me and and even just me saying these words now is really tough for me to say it's really challenging you know but basically I you know I found a lump in one of my testicles even just saying that term, you know, it's like, I just don't feel fully comfortable with it, but I've got to own that, you know, own my story. And that's what I'm doing today. I'm owning my story. Well, anyway, I find the lump in one of my testicles and straight away, I'm like, what's going on there? It was quite small. And I'm like, I'm just going to, and I remember sort of coming out of the shower and just lying on the bed for a little bit, just thinking, like I was, you know, I was only 15 at the time and I'm like, um, it was pretty terrifying really and I kind of like oh well anyway I monitored it for a little bit over a bit of time but the thing is I didn't tell anyone about it I wasn't brave enough to to stand up and, and to tell someone that this is what was happening to me and this is what I found and I 
And to put, give a bit of context for this, during this time, and anyone who's listened to this that went to my high school, um, I think there's a few people that maybe listened to it that were in my year. There was a, a guy in our school um, called Rob Humber, and he had cancer, and he was basically the most popular kid in school, or the, definitely the most well-known kid in school. And it kind of like rocked our year a little bit when we found out that this lad had a cancer. I think he had stomach cancer. Um, I think it was that and anyway it it kind of went away and then it spread and it came back and he eventually died from it and it, it was quite a drawn out process for it so I had this all in my mind um, thinking shit I've got cancer I've got cancer that's what I've got I've got testicular cancer and I'm gonna die well anyway these are all the things that were swirling around in me and anyway I come back from the holiday and I'm still checking it and noticing that the lump's getting a bit bigger it's getting a bit bigger and I was so scared. I was so full of fear. And because it was in a particular place where, you know, say for instance, you've got something on your arm or you've got something on, you know, your ankle, whatever. It's in a place there where maybe you, I don't know, you feel a bit more comfortable off, but because where it was for me, I felt, um, I felt really embarrassed that it was there. I didn't want to go and see someone and be like, to be looking at me and I, I just I had all this stuff in me you know I felt like I felt a lot of shame around it well anyway you know I didn't talk about it I didn't go to see someone instead and now I've got the dog going crazy in the background I don't know if you can hear that but anyway I didn't actually go anywhere and do anything about it instead I just held on to this feeling and inside of me and it was really eating away at me because I'd basically convinced myself that I had cancer, that I was going to die basically because I didn't know anything about it. And I just thought if you got a lump somewhere, you it was cancer. I didn't know it could be anything else. I just assumed that I had cancer, but I was so scared that I couldn't tell anyone. I couldn't even speak to my parents about it. Couldn't be brave enough. I do remember one moment where it came, I came so close, so close. I was just like, and then something just stopped me. Something stopped, just stopped me from speaking about it. And and I remember being in school. I remember just being like, oh, you know what? I don't even know if this is even coming out of me right now or whatever. I'm kind of just, my head's getting a bit fuzzy talking about it. But I think it's best to come out and talk about stuff. Well, anyway, I spiraled into a little bit of a depression, really, with, with all of this. Because I would constantly be thinking about it and worrying about it. And then... I would do anything that I could to, to not think about it. I would turn to drink, I turn to drugs. I would do, wouldn't want to be alone much. I'd always want to be out with my friends because I wanted a distraction. I wanted a distraction from feeling this way because it was not a nice feeling to be feeling, you know, thinking you've got something wrong with you, you've got a lump, it's been growing and all this thing will, so, this is like had a really significant impact on my life because this happened to me. I found this when I was, like I said, 15. I was too scared to do anything about it. I was too scared and I didn't do anything about it. And it's had a, it's really shaped certain elements of me. It's made me have a lot of, um, you know, it, it's made me have issues with my own body image, uh, um, having shame around that, not feeling totally comfortable in my own skin. And I know there's, there's not just that, it's other things, but that's really um, played a role in that. So I'd like to think, me talking about this, this is me releasing the charge of this. 
So you may be wondering, did I ever get it sorted? Did I ever find out what it is? Well, I did actually. Yeah, it took me over 20 years. So I find this at 15 and I wasn't until I was 36 that I actually faced up to it. Now, okay, I wasn't, basically after a few years of, of, of not doing anything about it, and going through all that feeling of like, oh, I've got cancer and I'm going to die and stuff like that. And any sort of pain to get a bit of back pain. I'd read stuff saying, oh, I heard back pain can be linked to cancer. Basically, anything that you type into the internet or anything and you put anything in, you know, you just you just don't want to know, do you? Because one of the things that comes up could be cancer, could be cancer. And there's this real big thing in society around the C word, around cancer. And... It's not a very empowering thing, is it? It's, there's a lot of fear around it. There's something recently that I've heard, you know, it says one in two people will get cancer. Like as if it's, you know, it's a foregone conclusion, like you can do nothing about it, which I think is very disempowering because I think we can do a lot. We look after ourselves physically, emotionally, spiritually. We are not going to be a one in two chance. It's not even going to be a one in 10 chance. We're going to release that from us so you know it's not gonna that isn't gonna be the case we don't have to it doesn't have to be the toss of a coin for us to get cancer that's i do not believe that in any way shape or any way at all i think we can actually do a lot of things and that's probably why i actually faced up to this a few years ago is because i'd gone on my own journey um spiritually um and finding out a lot more things about health and how we can actually empower ourselves because if i was just going to a normal doctor it, it doesn't feel that empowering it can feel like you're just handing yourself over to them and they're just going to give you something some sort of pill well, anyway it took me till i was 36 to face up to this and i had a big emotional head and there was this series that we were watching a docuseries i think it was called the truth about cancer and it brought it all back up into me Oh, it came. It's like as if I'd buried it for so many years because by the time I got to 20, I was kind of thinking, well, I've not got cancer because if I got cancer, I'd be dead by now, wouldn't I? But then you can hear stories of people how cancer can grow in them for 10, 20 years and then all this stuff. So I had all this shit swirling around in me as well. But I kind of, in some ways, buried it. I'd buried it, basically. I had buried this deep inside of me thinking, oh, I'm okay now, I'm okay but I never actually faced up to it. I never actually faced up to find out what was it, what is it, can I do anything like it? Because the lump was still there. It hadn't grown. It basically grown to a certain size and then just stayed at that size. So I kind of, all these things. So anyway, I have this big emotional breakdown in a way. It just came all up into me and I finally kind of just couldn't do it anymore. And I said I was watching this docuseries and it was about a week after that. And I remember the morning now, it was a Thursday morning, and I, one thing or another, it led to one thing or another, and I was in our back bedroom, and Ruth was there with me, and it just came out of me. It literally just came out of me. I just was overcome with emotion. Like, I can feel it now. I literally had just, like, tears coming out of me. I was uncontrollable for a bit, and I, and I just pulled it out, and I told Ruth. I told Ruth what was happening and what was wrong with me, and... And you know what? This is the most amazing thing that you can ever have is have someone that can be there for you and that will listen to you. And you feel like you can be vulnerable and they're not going to shame you. They're not going to make you feel... They're not going to make you feel bad. And I'm actually getting a little choked now talking about it because it's really important to have people in our lives who we feel like we can talk to. It's one of the most empowering, supportive, loving things that we can do to feel like you can be with someone and you can share what's going on in 
your life, you know, and the things that you can hold on to because I know growing up with my school friends or being and stuff, it was kind of not okay to talk about how you're feeling. It was not okay to say that there was something wrong with you. You had to sort of like stay strong and you had to like, all that, sh- all that bollocks, you know, all that bollocks, all that macho man stuff about, you know, hold it all in, be strong, you've got to fight, for, you know, all this stuff is just like, nonsense so anyway i um i finally had this thing with ruth you know i finally let it out and she was amazing and she was just like so supportive and then what this is how quickly things moved after that it must have been around 10 11 o'clock in the morning um when this happened within half an hour i'm on the phone to the doctors i'm saying i need an appointment and asking what it is and i tell the guy over the phone this is what it is He's like, right, you need to come in. I think this is really, it's really serious. And we can't wait for this for a few weeks. So he got me an appointment um, a few hours later. I went down there, see the, a, a GP. She checks me out and she's like, I don't know what it is. I'm going to have to, I'm gonna have to send, you, send you for a scan. Um, you know, uh, and all this in the space of a day. So for me, not really talking about it for 21 years. And then in the space of a few hours... I was able to open up about it, have a massive release and arrange an appointment and then arrange a scan all in the space of one day. So what happened with the scan is I could have gone, they say, no, you want to go through the, it was going to take weeks to go through the, um, through the, through the NHS. So I actually chose to go private. I, I managed to turn it around in a week and, and that week in the lead up to it, I must admit that was a really, that was a really challenging really challenging time and not just for me but for Ruth because all of a sudden I'd like told her about this thing that I hadn't really something I'd kept locked inside of me and not told anyone like this before I hadn't hadn't told anyone to this level um it came up a couple of times in my life but not to the level where I was truly ready to do something about it and it was a challenging time for Ruth as well because she would have been thinking well what's going on is there something wrong with him and has he got cancer and all the things and for me I was like I kind of like really slowed down that week in the lead up to it just like putting one foot in front of the other but I really felt it inside me there was something that was really deep inside me that was saying to me that I'm okay that I've got this that I can that I'm gonna make it and this is the making of me it's not something that's gonna not you know destroy me it's actually no it's it's really empowering and I can really release this like an this. so anyway i go for the scan i remember being very nervous and anyway you go in there and i mean on my own and the doctor gp's there and he you know they give me an ultrasound they do it they check it and i just heard them words come out of him he says you're okay it's nothing to worry about it's a cyst and the weight of relief that came over me to realize that it's nothing to worry about that I'm okay it was such a relief I was like thank god and I was like thank you to the doctor um thank you so much these doctors didn't know that I'd had this for 21 years I kind of just said I've had it for a while because well didn't want to anyway and I went out told Ruth and it was a big relief and massive relief for us and there was a part of me, you know, I'm not going to lie, there's been certain times where I'd be like thinking, I could have saved myself 21 years of, of pain here. 
21 years of discomfort, 21 years of depression in some ways, because that's what it led to in some ways, because I was constantly worrying about it and thinking about it. I heard something a while ago that depression is when you worry about the past and anxiety is when you worry about the future. Well, I was definitely worrying about the past, about this event that had happened to me. So anyway, I faced it. I faced it after 21 years, you know, and I was able to be brave enough. You know, I was able to finally be brave enough, something that I couldn't do when I was younger. And I'm, I'm not blaming my younger self. This is the path that I've chosen. This is the path that I'm going on. That's why I'm owning my journey. I'm going to say it was meant to be like this. It was meant to take 21 years. And the thing is, I'm glad that I just did it when I did because I could still be sat here now and not told anyone about it and think that my life's going on okay, but actually it wasn't. It was it was underneath the surface, like a splinter. I think anytime things happen to us in our lives, you can go in like a splinter and either they can be on the surface or they can go in, you know? And this was a big fucking splinter in me. Um, that's the first time I've really swore on this podcast, but it was. And me having the emotional release to Ruth and then going and seeing this was like, this was really pulling out that splinter, that big splinter, that, that dark splinter, you know, that's left... A dark it was a very dark cloud for me at certain times and I just touch on th- certain things so I didn't really know how to sort of express and talk about my feelings to own my feelings I've always for for 30 odd years I always found it difficult to say how I was feeling all I could say was I feel bad that was it I could sum it up by saying I feel really bad but I couldn't really talk about saying I'm worrying about this or I feel anxious or I feel upset or I'm concerned, I couldn't really, I couldn't own my feelings, I couldn't define what it was that I was feeling, that I was hurt, or embarrassed, and I couldn't do it, it, because it would just become this cloud that I ignored and I buried, and I go through my teenage years, like I said, I would turn to drink and drugs, and that didn't help, as you can imagine, to, I didn't necessarily just turn to it that, because I was drinking a bit before this anyway, but it definitely would help a bit well not even help it would just bury stuff a little bit and then obviously when you wake up in the morning you feel even worse and and it wasn't like this was always on my mind all the time but it was um i just i kind of remember a switch flicking when i was 15 and feeling like pretty happy and chilled out relatively before that and then after this it's like no it wasn't it was times were changing for me and then when i was in my 20s i remember because I couldn't sort of deal with my emotions and stuff, I finally went to the doctors and I was just telling, but again, I didn't tell him about the lump. I just told him that um, I was feeling really bad and um, I feel depressed and stuff. And because I didn't really own that my what was going on, the doctor was like, okay, well, I think you need to put you on antidepressants. So when I was 25, I took antidepressants um, for a couple of years and they definitely helped in the initial phase. You know, I definitely felt better for maybe about three to six months. But then after that, it just made me, the, I actually believe that the antidepressants made me feel a lot worse because I was kind of a bit, I, I took them as a bit of a, cl- a clutch because I think if I don't take them, I'm going to feel worse. Well, I got all sorts of things off the back of it. And the thing is, you know, if anyone's on antidepressants or anyone who's listened to this, have a look at the side effects. Go through them all because I don't even believe how the hell some of these things can even be prescribed to people when you see the horrendous side effects of stuff. The biggest thing that happened to me was insomnia from it. I would feel really wired from taking them. Now, that surely that's not the, the answer, you know. For, like I said, I felt calm for three to six months, but after that, I just started to feel wired taking them, and then I couldn't fall asleep. 
So I'd feel even worse in the morning. And some stats that are going on at the moment, I believe like antidepressants from what was just in, come out recently, antidepressants use has doubled in the past 10 years. Maybe it's just because people aren't in a place where they can really own or want to get to, to the bottom of stuff. Because when I was 25, I wasn't in a place. I wasn't emotionally strong enough, uh, mentally fit, whatever. I wasn't in that place where I could you know, really talk about what was going on with me or to get to the root cause. It was a band-aid for me and that's what it is. And I think that's what a lot of people are doing now and still. And I just don't think it's the answer. It's a, It can be a short-term fix for people and it worked for me. It came, it was, you know, it was the right thing for me at that time. But I'd like to think me sharing this, if some people are on them or know if people are on them or ever get offered them by the doctors because, you know, they're getting like, like pop it, you know, it's like handing them out like candy in some ways, the way it is. And I'm not really want to have a go at the GPs and stuff because under a lot of pressure. And then I've got to see, what, 30 people in a day. I just want people in and out because they can't really, really get to know the patients or spend enough time with them to get to the bottom of things. They know they have a short window and they're overstretched and all this stuff. So it's definitely, it was a band-aid for me. Then around about 27, I remember going back to the doctors and he was like, oh, we think you need to put you on another set. And I'm like, I'm like, no, I don't want to go anymore. I remember having this conversation with him saying, listen, I don't want to have any more taking them. I want to come off them. I want to speak to someone instead. So this is something that's really helped me is I went to go see a counsellor when I was about, I think I had about eight sessions with a counsellor when I was about 27 or 28. And just talked about stuff, talked about the stuff that I was feeling. And that, that helped because they start to help you put things into perspective. And what I really like about seeing a therapist is that, it's like I said, it's amazing to have someone, close people in your lives that you feel you can open up and talk to. But it's also really incredibly empowering and a massive release to go and sit down and talk to people. Someone who you don't know, they're not in your family, they're not in your friends. Someone you're just going to go see for one hour. And you can pour out all the stuff that you want to do and they don't, they're not judging you. They're not, you don't have to go home and be thinking about this person. They, this is the thing about therapists and counsellors. This is what they're trained to do. They're very, you know, a lot of empathy, a lot of compassion, a lot of understanding. And the stuff that you will most often be talking to about them, they've heard a thousand times worse than this stuff. You know, they've heard some real shockers. So it's highly unlikely that the stuff we're talking about is anything new to them. And even if it is, they can cope with it and they can deal with it. So it's really, I find it just amazing to be with someone. And then they can give you some tools and some techniques and help you to see things from a different perspective. And that's really helped me um, massively. And like, I'm 39 now and I still see a therapist once a month. And it's really empowering for me. It does, it feels good. It can give me an opportunity to check in. And I still have times where I feel really anxious. And there's, there's you know, look at the world at the moment, it's very unsettling. And during that phase, we've got our own personal stuff going on. And I think it's important, well, it's very important for me to have someone I can feel like I can sit down and talk to and talk about what's going on in my life and the things that's, that's been affecting me. But also this thing just tying back into men because I think it's time now you know, I think it's time for us now to do away with this macho image, this thing like you got to stay strong, you got to keep it inside you, you got to be strong for them or be strong for this, you know, when actually all it is is just like going in inside you. I'd love to think that this, me sharing this now will help someone who, who, another guy or girl or whatever, that something's going on in your life and you've been holding on to it and and you're too scared to face it and know what it feels like to have something wrong with you or to think that you got something wrong with you and you're terrified to death. 
you're, you're completely in a straitjacket in a way and what's the worst case in death you know and I suffered in a way for that long not knowing about something when I could have dealt with it and once as soon as I had that release and I spoke to Ruth and I went to the doctor it was like oh so much pressure came off me because I wasn't carrying it as much I wasn't carrying all that on me in fact I'd opened it up and then all of a sudden I had this support around me I had these appointments lined up everything was in place for me I just had to show up and the worrying is so much worse than the knowing. I believe that because we can worry our minds taking us off to the worst case scenario and this and that, you know, our ego. and Oh, it can be painful. It can be really painful going through that. So, yeah, if anyone's listened to this and, and they've been holding on to something, it's okay to talk about it. There is really deep down when it comes down to it, there's nothing to worry about. Finding out the truth is never the worst thing because there's always an option for you. So that is basically my story about, I think everyone's got a story to tell. We all have. And when we realise that you just don't know what other people have been going through and what's been affecting them and why they may be feeling like that. I think, well, I'm not going to wrap it up just yet. I have another sign of things. So, so last year, this is how I'd like to think I've really changed in a lot of ways that's really helped me. So it took me 21 years to face up to this lump. After that, last year, when I was 38, I went to the toilet and I got blood in my urine. I was, I was going and it happened. I was like, oh my God, that's not good. And then it happened again and again, all in the space of about an hour. And I'm like, oh, I'll do something about this. You know, and because I felt like I had someone who, who I could trust, who I could speak to, I went straight, you know, I was like, within 20 minutes, I was like, to Ruth, I was like, I've got blood in my urine, I'm we in blood. Where it took me 20 years to face it last time, this time it took me 20 minutes to, to, to face up to it. And that's the thing, that was the biggest things that's helped me. One of the greatest things I can see the effect that it's had onto me now is, like, you know, whatever it is that's up with me, I know I can face it. Because I faced that thing of me that had held, held me down for so long, because I knew I could face that. And I did face that. I'm like, well, I can face anything. So this, and because that turned out okay, I'm like, I can face this as well. So within 20 minutes, I told Ruth, on the phone to the doctors, same thing, right? You need to come in if you've got blood. Straight there, GP looks at it. Yeah, I can see blood. And and that all got turned around. And then within a week or so, I went for all these scans and I had to have cameras inside of me and x-rays and all this kind of stuff. Anyway, it turned out to be totally fine. But the reason why I'm sharing that story now is because I could have stuck with that. I could have been like, oh, I've got blood um, and not done anything about it and go, I'll see how it is tomorrow. And maybe it'll go away. And it, it would have gone away in my case for what it was. Yeah, I would have always had that feeling. What's wrong? What is it? Is it something I've got to worry about? And then that could have been another thing that's just laid on stuff. And it's like, oh. in fact, I faced it. I faced it within 20 minutes. So there's just my little two stories and everyone, like I said, everyone's got a story to tell. And the more that we can, we can let our men and boys growing up, that it's okay to talk about your feelings, that they can own it. And it's not something to be embarrassed about. It's not something to be shamed. It's not something to feel weak about. In fact, it's powerful. If you can be vulnerable, if you can speak up and and say how you're feeling, what's going on, 
it is so important because look at us you know look at look at the mess that's going in society and look at the amount of people that are homeless and most of them like i said is most of them is men and suicides is so high in men now i'm just going to put my stick my neck out on the line here and say i can my feelings is that if they were able to talk about what was going on in their life, if they'd have people there that they could help them and support them and let them know it's okay to talk about stuff, they, I think it's unlikely then that people would turn to drink and turn to drugs and turn, turn, turn to other destructive behaviours, whatever they are, whether it's gambling or whatever, just to numb the pain because that's a lot of the time people are walking around in pain and who can't be in this world at the moment and be in some sort of pain? So... It's not about numbing stuff anymore. It's about facing it. It's about opening up. And it's about sharing what's really going on. And by us sharing, it can help other people feel like it's okay for me to share now. It's okay for me to face some of the stuff. And I'm not alone. That's the thing. That's one thing that's really helped me seeing a therapist is realizing that I'm not alone. Some of the stuff that's going on in my life. Because sometimes, this is the thing, like, I think how it is, is because we're told that we need to be strong and all this stuff. So any sign of things coming up on us is thought of as if it's a weakness and there's something wrong with us and then we can start thinking well this is only happening to me it's only me that has these thoughts it's only me that has this stuff going wrong with me if i tell someone they're gonna lock me up or they're gonna really shame me because no one else feels like this but you know what we all feel like this we're this is part of the human experience you know we all struggle at times with our emotions We've all got challenges. Every single person alive right now has got their own set of challenges. Whether they're on homeless or they're a billionaire, they've still got to deal with the mind. And the mind is one of the biggest things to face in our lives because of the way it is, you know. And So I'm just going to share now, just before I wrap up, I'm going to share a few things that have helped me to own my feelings. Now, as I said, I've spoke about seeing a therapist Back in 2012, I started to meditate. Now, I actually think my life truly began to transform back in 2012. It's quite a significant year as well. Um, 2012, something that will always live long in me. Well, I started to meditate. I came across a David Lynch video. He was talking for about six or seven minutes, and it was all about meditation, consciousness, and creativity. And because I'm in the creative sector, as soon as I heard creativity, I'm like, oh, I'm in. And listen to him talk about when he first started to meditate and the difference that it made to him. Massive light bulb went off in my head and he practices transcendental meditation. So I did it, got online, did a bit of research and it turned out that the European Centre for Meditation was only a few miles away from where I lived growing up. And I'm like, well, if I need a sign from somewhere, that is definitely a sign for me that I'm gonna go there. So I went along there, I had an introductory talk for free, and then I did a four day course. When I say course, it wasn't intense, it was just um, four days, probably about two hours each time, where I got taught to meditate and I got given a specific mantra for me. Now, that has released so much pressure from my life and stress and anxiety and pain because I've been able to rather than up until that point I was quite um I would drink quite a bit and when I would drink and when I get drunk I would be like a really lousy drunk you know I'd really go there was no like have a few beers it was like go right the way and push the limits to it and have the worst hangovers and make, and you know, the thing is, some of the biggest mistakes I've ever made in my life has been on alcohol. You know, the things that you truly regret. 
Well, anyway, I now had a technique in for me, which was so empowering. That was meditation. That's what it felt for me. It's like, oh my God, I've got this. And before that, before I started to meditate, I used to be popping ibuprofen and paracetamol, like, like they were sweeties, you know. Every, ta- every night before I go to bed, I'd, I would be popping a few of them to help me sleep, to take away some of the tension and the pain that I'd be feeling in my head and my neck. So, and here's the thing, as soon as I started meditating in, you know what, it's, what are we in now? It's April, isn't it? April 2012, when I started to learn. So I'm coming up to seven years. And when I felt the difference straight away, I felt like this this weight was just releasing. It was like as if it was just moving from my head. It was just like, ah, just letting go from the first time I've meditated. Since then, I have barely ever taken a paracetamol. I can't, I can't remember the last time I took one when I used to take them every day, day and night. And I think it did tie into me taking antidepressants, you know, 10 years before that. Like I said, it, it caused me to not sleep well. I felt 10 times worse after taking antidepressants than before, which, you know, go figure. And this is the great thing about meditation. I paid to, to learn it. Now I have got that in me. I did it this morning. I had my cup of tea and then I sat up um, and I meditated for 20 minutes. And it's one of the most empowering tools that I've ever used and techniques because I, it's my, wherever I am, I could be anywhere, but I've got, I just have to close my eyes and do my mantra for a little bit. And it helps to release the charge, the buildup from daily stress, which we can get all the time, you know, whether you're driving to work, the stress is driving to work, you know, you, you could be running a bit late or people could be pulling up or pulling, pulling over you, you know, or you got to get through the lights and someone's beeping at you. These are all little stresses for us and often they just build up and that's why a lot of people will turn to drink at the end of the day or turn to smoking and turn to these things because they want something to help, help with it. And I think it's all well and good having a drink from time to time and stuff, but it's when it becomes a crutch and when you're using it to numb your feelings and you're doing it because you're in pain. And I think that's why a lot of us doing these things, like I said, are in pain. So meditation for me, has been a way to release that pain to re- oh, I remember it. it was such it was so an amazing time for me and I, so I know sometimes people will think oh you know I shouldn't have to pay for meditation well I'll tell you what I paid for that and it's the best thing that I've ever paid for in my entire life so that's about meditation therapy really helps has helped meditation on top of that wow phenomenal the other thing that I started doing back in 2015 was starting to journal Again, it's about owning my feelings and owning my thoughts. And it's something so amazing about, because often, you know, you can be worrying about something and it's just swirling around in your head and it's just like all over the place when actually it really helped me to go like, I'm just going to sort of like channel this out of me. I'm going to pull it out. I'm just going to write it, write what's going on in my head. What are the things that I'm thinking? What am I feeling? And this is how I've been able to really own my feelings because rather than just all be jumbled up in my head, instead now, I'm able to just, when I'm not feeling too good, I'll just sit there and journal for, could be 10 minutes, could be an hour, and I feel better because it's literally releasing out of my hand, it's no longer in my head, it's now on a piece of paper. And also you can read back of it and it just gives you a greater perspective about it. And you might be having a bad day sometimes and journal, but then you can realize that, well actually, bad days are often, good days can come after that as well so you can kind of have much more perspective because sometimes if you're feeling down you can feel like oh this is never going to go away i'm always going to feel like that but by for me by me journaling 
it gives me greater perspective to realize that's not the case and that the good days are coming back and that's what life's all about it's ups and downs it's never going to be all the way up it's never going to be like you're on top of top of things you're gonna experience that but i think what's helped me because now i'm able to realize that the good days come and go and the bad days come and go i don't feel as, as attached to them as i used to and when i don't feel as attached I'm able to not be able to not affect me as much because I can kind of shift my mindset towards it. And then also something that someone told me this, I've had quite a few different sessions, you know, talk about seeing a therapist, but also I would go and have like Reiki and acupuncture and all these things which have really helped me. But I remember having a, a Reiki teacher that she said, if you got everything on your mind, write it down and then burn it, throw it in the fire. And I did it a couple of times, and then, but more recently, we've got a fire pit out in our back, which um, which I've been using. Well, what I've been really helping is I've got something inside of me. That, you know, it could be a negative belief, it could be an emotion, it could be an about event, it could be something that's happened to you yesterday, whatever. Just I was just like writing it down. I can't remember what it is, and this is probably a good thing that I can't remember what it is. And then you see it, and then rip rip the piece of paper out of your journal. I'd go outside, and then I'd light it. And I just drop it onto the into the fire pit, and just seeing it go up in flames and seeing it just sort of fade away, transmute. And there's something really for me. It's a very it's an incredible symbol. For anything like one, it's in your head. It's affecting. It's all jumbled up. You get that out of you. It comes out of your arm onto the paper. You write that down. So it's come out of you. It's now on the paper. It's still there because it's on the paper, but it's outside of you. And then, what's the ultimate thing you can do? Go and burn it, it disappears. I love that. Now, it doesn't mean that necessarily that is gonna have a huge, uh, you know, it's over them because of that, but what I do fully believe 100% is that it helps to release the charge. So rather than say it's affecting, it's at 100%, or it says, uh, you know, rather than say it's 100%, say it's a, it's a nine out of 10 affecting it, you can release it down to seven out of 10 or six but then you might continue to do it and you continue to do it and each time you continue to do it i think it helps to release the charge of something so and then here's the last one that i want to talk about which is maybe a little bit embarrassing because i'm a guy you know and i have to be fit and strong and you know i can't show my emotions i would find it challenging when i was a little kid i would have cried a lot and like all little kids cry a lot well i would find it um really challenging to to cry I'd feel embarrassed if I cry. You know, if you go and watch a film and it's a bit choky and you get a little bit, I'd just be putting one hand up to sort of like cover my eyes or, you know, or just turn away a little bit so whoever was next to me couldn't see that I was choking up a bit because I'd feel embarrassed around it. I'd feel ashamed. I'd feel like uh, I wasn't allowed to be like this. Well, anyway, there's this film called Hatchy. So I don't know if anyone's heard of it. It's called Hatchy, A Dog's Tale. And I'm telling you, it's got Richard Gere in. And oh my God, is this a choker if you love animals or or any sort of a connection with dogs or anything this is going to get you so i'm not going to give it away but if you've not watched it but you can probably get the gist of it of why it'd be so emotional well anyway ruth was out for the day or for the weekend i can't i can't remember and i was just had this feeling of me like i'm going to sit down and watch hatchy and one of our cats came was with me kingsley and he was just with me and I watched Hatchy, right, and oh my God, I have never cried as much as I did 
then in a long time. It was literally like pouring out of every hole. Like it was coming down my eyes. It was coming out my nose. It was coming out my mouth. I had such a phenomenal release. Oh, that's the thing I think we could all do with having a bloody good cry more rather than, you know, it turned into rage or suppressing these emotions. Let them tears out and let them flow. And God, did I feel great after that. I really did. I felt amazing. And like I touched on right at the beginning about if a little boy's been crying and all of a sudden they're screaming about something and tears are flowing. After it, they're back to being themselves. I felt like I was back to being myself after it. I just felt this release, this weight from me, this from every part, every fiber of my being had a release. So that's really helped me. So they're just some of the things that I've, I've, you know, that's my story, you know, that's my mental health story. And I'd love to think that this could help some people on their own journey. And if you think that this helps someone or anyone, you know, please share it with them. Let them know that it's okay to to have these emotions, to have this pain inside them. And there is a way out of it that you can find tools and techniques and people around you to really support you. There you go. That's my story. Remember, everyone else has got their own story to tell and you can own your story. And don't think that no one won't want to hear it as well. Because there's been part times when I've been talking in this or thinking about it, I'm like, oh, who wants to hear this? Well, you know what? I want to hear it. It's helping me to release some of the, the charge that's still there for me with things. And I already now, like I wasn't feeling in the best place before I started this because possibly I knew what was going to, you know, come out, but I'm already feeling a lot lighter and more energized and my head is feeling clearer because of it. So anyway, there you go. I think I've spoke for, for long enough today and I really appreciate you tuning in. I really do, and I'll include some show notes for this. From I can't remember what I've actually spoke about, but I will do. Um, I'll, I'll send you a link to Hatchie a Dog's Tail. There you go. If there's one thing that you do, if you get if you find it struggling to get in tune with your emotions, sit down on your own and watch Hatchie's a Dog's Tail, and there you go. All your answers, all, all your problems, all the answers. Now I'm only messing. Um, but anyway, I appreciate you listening to me today. Appreciate me having this platform to to do this and if anyone's thinking about setting up their own or doing a podcast or doing a youtube channel or writing a blog i just say go for it you know because it's really helping me to give a platform for me to share about the things and and just to swirl this right back in you know it's called the do good podcast so i think there's so much good that can come from us talking about what's going on like my story of me facing up to some of my biggest things has had a tremendous impact on me and it's done so much good in my life, in my relationships, for me, for my health. It's done so much good now. And if I can do good now in turn in sharing this story and it can help others, then I'm doing good, Anna. And we can all do good. So anyway, thank you for listening. Until next time, have a good one. Mm-hmm.